0: This is God's word. Father, I'm, I am grateful uh, for your provision uh, tonight of this place, of these people, of friends, of a meal that's coming our way. I pray that you would lead our time. I pray that you would lead my words, that you would use the time that we have spent together uh, preparing this, that you would teach us um, more about prayer, that even in the moments where we might undo an idea, that we would replace it with the idea of praying to you more in, in, in truth. I pray that you would in, inspire us to know you through this uh, discussion about prayer, and I pray that your spirit would guide our time, that you would have your way, that all authority would be yours this evening. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we've been discussing discipleship, um, and a frequent theme has been knowing Jesus, um, actually being with Jesus uh, is something we've brought up several times, uh, listening to God, offering yourself to God, and really those, all, all those ideas generally include and fall under the heading of what we might call prayer. Um, And so my question leading into this evening uh, was this, as I prepared. If you were a disciple of Jesus, um, what did it look like to pray with him uh, or to hear him pray? And the follow-up questions become, how should we then pray in imitation of Jesus? How should we consider adjusting our assumptions on prayer? And finally, what are some... Things we can do to learn to pray and disciple others uh, to pray Jesus-like prayers and live a life, a Jesus-like life of prayer. So here are the main things I want to cover. What did it look like when Jesus prayed? How do we imitate Jesus in what we do and we don't do? And then practical practices of prayer. So what did it look like when Jesus prayed? Well, this evening, we just read a scripture. Joy just read a scripture where it just tells us that Jesus, what he blessed the bread, he blessed the wine. The most well-known teaching, of course, is what I read to open our service, the Lord's Prayer. And this is probably a repeated teaching that Jesus gave because you see it in the Sermon on the Mount. And then in Luke 11, we see the disciples had seen Jesus somewhere praying, and it asked him to teach them to pray, and and he repeated the same idea, what we call the Lord's Prayer. But you'll notice, if you read through the New Testament and through the Gospels, that Jesus never is caught praying the Lord's Prayer verbatim. You never see him quoted doing this other than when he taught it. And it seems to me that it first came to us in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, in which he was telling us what not to do. Because what I read in confession came right before it. He said, right, don't give to the needy and sound a trumpet. Don't pray like the hypocrites who pray in front of people to be seen. And then he said, instead, and now here's Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. He said, instead, pray like this. Father, hallowed or holy, be your name, your kingdom. And I would say that is his authority, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread. Those are three very simple things that I would say maybe a child would say to a father. Is there anything I can eat? Do you have enough for me? Um, I respect you, I honor you. um, You're in charge. Then after he said, give us this day our daily bread, he said, and forgive us our sins, which is the reason Jesus never prayed that. Bible says he didn't sin, there was no deceit even found on his mouth, but for us, this is an acknowledgement of Jesus, what he came to do to forgive us of our sins. And then it says, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us, and then it says, lead us not into temptation. And I think that's an acknowledgement of the daily help and the presence that the Spirit of God has to give to us in order for us just to get through life and all the things that we face, the the temptations that we face. So though Jesus didn't likely pray this verbatim, he he likely prayed a lot of these things in substance outside of the forgiveness part. Some of those things could take a long time to say, and some of them could be really said um, in a brief breath, Um, such as Jesus on the cross saying, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's kind of a your kingdom come, your authority I trust, Sort of prayer, very short. Into your hands I commit my spirit. As a a kid, I'd get really tired of my dad's little prayer before dinner. Um, My mom's mom's here, so she's going to know it better than me. Uh, It was something to the effect of, thank you, Jesus, for this food. Bless it to the needs of our bodies in Jesus' name, amen. You know, decades of that little prayer. And finally I got fed up and I, sometime at the dinner table, I don't remember how old I was, I I blurted out something to the effect of like, don't you have anything else to say? And my dad said, well, I could go on and on like the hypocrites if that's what you'd prefer. (laughs) Which means, of course, that my dad knew more of the Sermon on the Mount than I did. He knew the portion of what Jesus said not to do when you pray, right? That, that's exact. He was quoting Jesus back to me uh, in that moment. And though my dad wasn't praying the Lord's Prayer, he had a simple give us this day our daily bread kind of prayer that he didn't feel like he needed to go beyond. He didn't need to babble on um, any more than that no matter how unimpressive his son thought it probably was. So, what did Jesus' praying look like? Of course, there's all kinds of conjecture. There were a lot of little short prayers. I brought this up at a breakfast I had with uh, my buddy Rod's friends who were in town. And some of you may have seen some podcasting and such we did with these guys. But there were three guys in town that are friends of my friend Rod. And uh, one, of the, one of them's name is Paul Vanderclay, The other is John van Donk. These are Dutch people, in case you're not getting it. Um, and then John, Job van Oosterberg. So he, uh, that's a, he had the coolest name. But anyway, John, uh, we were talking about this idea of prayer because I told him what I was preaching on. And uh, John said, yeah, one of Jesus's prayers was just, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's all he said. And Job, uh, the other guy, who is an atheist who's like probably just come to, to faith. He's like reconsidering. He's probably just there, it seems. And he kind of piped in and he said, isn't that one of the Psalms? And we said, yeah, yeah, it is. And he's right. Um, in a way, Jesus here, and he wasn't getting at that just because that was interesting. He was kind of saying wasn't, that wasn't even an original prayer. He prayed somebody else's prayer just a little bit of it, right? And, a very, and it was very, very short. And it's not very inspiring to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's especially not very inspiring because he didn't seem to hear anything in return. But Jesus knew more of that psalm. That was just how the psalm began. It goes on to say, it's long, Psalm 22, that's what it is, a psalm of David, But it goes on to say things like this. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You will fear the Lord and praise him, or you who fear the Lord praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cries to him seems to be speaking of, of somebody who's delivered from agony. From you, David goes on to say, comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall see and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship before him. All shall bow who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Seems to be almost a resurrection theme in this psalm. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people a people not yet born that he has done it. See, David's prayer extends beyond his own lifetime. It's speaking of something in the future. Now, Jesus knew the end of David's prayer, I believe, that it ended hopeful and victorious. The the why have you forsaken me existed in the scriptures, but in the moment of Jesus' suffering, he only prayed the first part because that's where he honestly was. Elsewhere, you'll see longer prayers of Jesus. Most of these are private and unrecorded. There's just times where he gets away from the crowd. He's got we don't know what he said. But then there's John 17, 650 words, takes three and a half minutes to recite. And this is what we call the high priestly prayer. Jesus committing himself to God, praying for his disciples, praying for all those who would come after him. We would say he's praying for us. You see a number of little prayers or, or blessings. And this, you could go nerd out on this someday if you want to. But it seems like in the old Hebrew, they didn't bless things like food. They didn't do that. The Greeks did, it seems. The Greeks started it. But then you see a Hebrew tradition where they start to bless their food. They kind of took a cue from the Greeks, which is interesting. I, I, I wonder if they didn't say the Greeks are thanking their God for food How could we not do that? How could we not thank God for our food? And they would simply pronounce a praise to God for their food. So when Jesus blessed the bread and the wine, as in our scripture this evening, um, in which he instituted the Lord's Supper, it was probably something simple like this. He probably grabbed the piece of bread and said, Blessed are you, Lord, our God, ruler of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And everybody probably agreed with him. And then he took the cup and said, blessed are you, Lord, our God, ruler of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. That's probably about what he's, that tradition still lives. That is what you would say at a Jewish table. If you eat any meal with bread involved, you would say the blessing of the bread. If you're drinking wine, you say the blessing of the wine. So he prayed things like that. And he probably prayed the same one over and over and over. And and probably everybody else did too. Overall, um, some thoughts I have on prayer, uh, the prayers of Jesus are like this. Um, there were structured ones, like these little blessings, but the rest of them were more spontaneous than structured. They especially happened at difficult moments, like in the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, this is him. He, he seems to know the plan that God has for him, but he's crying out to God. Is there, you know, this is my paraphrase, is there any other way this could get done other than me suffering? Is there any other way? And then he concedes, nevertheless, your will be done. You never hear him pray quite like that again. They're rarely the same. The customary blessings may be the exception. I'd say they're more relational than rehearsed. Here's another example, Matthew 11, 25 through 26. He He had performed all these miracles in great cities, and very few people believed him. He's with his disciples And he is denouncing those cities. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Tyre. Like, he's saying, because you saw my miracles, you know, it's not going to be good for you because you've rejected the, the son of God. And then he just says, you know, seems like out of the blue, he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, that's your gracious will. Never says another one like that that we know of. They weren't for display. Of course, you know, there's that preamble of the Lord's Prayer. He's saying, don't do it for people to see. I assume he kept his principle, which is probably why we see only six prayers of Jesus recorded in all the Gospels. Six. My thesis would be this. Primarily, to watch Jesus pray would have been like watching a son talking to his father and listening. Sometimes he'd be walking with him and talk to him. Generally, he's not... I mean, think about this. Maybe you don't have a good relationship with your dad, so substitute in somebody who you do. Do you ever... Do you have conversations with people for other people to see? You usually don't. You usually kind of go away with them or turn and talk to them. I mean, who of us ever... Like, I'm going to talk to Tabitha. and Hey, Tabitha, come up here. Tabitha! thank you for coming today. It is a pleasure. You are so good, Tabitha. You know, righteous are thee. I mean, no, that is super weird, right? I would, I, would spend, I would talk to her one-on-one. It's not for you. This is a conversation between us, right? Like generally, that's what it was with Jesus. He would normally go away and when he did talk to his father with the other people, I, I almost imagine he talked like his father was there. Not in a pronouncement. But I think when he said things like this, thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, I have a feeling it felt like, wait, like the disciples were probably almost like, wait, is, the, is he here? You're talking to him. What, what's, is he here? It wasn't for display. I don't think he neglected the regular expressions of love and thanks, like the blessing of his food, but I think he was connected enough to experience real spontaneity. And it was different most of the time. Sometimes he quoted a psalm. When others were with him, it was like God was there. I doubt he closed his eyes. I doubt he folded his hands. He was often walking. I was once advised, somebody told me that driving is a good time to pray, but don't close your eyes. And I think... Jesus, you know, when he's walking around, I don't think he did this. I think he looked where he was going. He may have sometimes bowed, but he likely often didn't. He really didn't say amen, because amen was a word of agreement or emphasis. You only put it at the end if you were, like, if, if you said a thing where you needed somebody to hear you say, no, seriously, that's Amen or if somebody else were going to respond to you and say, you're right, that's amen. That's what that is. So how do we, so that's, that's I think what it would have been like, much more natural. So how do we imitate Jesus in what we do and don't do? I'm just gonna say this line of thought made prayer weird this week for me. And I had to do a lot of it because I went to this denomination meeting Right? And it's like, and I'm like, oh no, I have too much information. And so I want to encourage you, I don't want you to overthink it, but I want you to increase the honesty of your prayer as we go down this line of thought for a moment here. Here's some do's and don'ts do speak naturally to someone who is there and normally in a private conversation, do that with God do, and I think I get this from the blessing of the food, infuse cultural moments with deeper meaning. I really do think, I think the Jewish people must have seen the Greeks thanking their gods and they went, how can we let them thank their gods and not declare who we are grateful to? I think that's reasonable. That's sort of, you know, behind the debate of, there are people who debate Christmas and Easter and stuff like that. And that's because the Christians took a cultural th- celebration and they said, we should infuse this with our meaning. I don't think that's the worst idea. I think that might be what Jesus did when he blessed his food. We should infuse every celebration, every utterance of th- thanks, every happy time with deeper meaning. I had a buddy, a pastor, uh, who got invited to the blessing of the animals. You guys ever, has anybody ever gone to the blessing of the animals? And uh, it's, it's, it's real spiritual, and uh, it happens here in Tucson and, you know, people bring their animals and there's a lot of, you know, talk about spirit world animal stuff. And they invited Winston to go and he was really debating it. And this guy really wanted him to come. And then he thought, he finally said, I, I love animals. I have no problem thanking the God of all creation for animals. And if somebody really wants me to do that, why not? So he went and he got up in front and he said, "Thank you, God of heaven and Earth, or something like that, for the animals and for Jesus Christ, who died to make it us you know, able to live in the new heavens and new Earth." And, uh, and somebody pulled him aside afterwards, a pastor of another church in town, and they said, "How dare you speak so like you intolerantly?" And he said And he said to them, he said, "I thought you were a Christian," Winston said have you stopped believing in the Lord Jesus Christ? And that person went, are you kidding me? He said, no, I'm serious. I mean, he, like this cultural confrontation happened because he, he went, I'm going to go in. They want me to bless God for the animals I will. And then all of a sudden it caused tension, but it was a healthy tension. So do that in your sphere, but don't do it to look good. Don't do it to look good. Or as a method of getting attention for you as being a Christian. When you see a cultural thing where somebody's being thankful for something, infuse it with meaning, put God in there. I Recently, I was buying some uh, slabs of wood from a guy, and the guy just looked at me, and I had this amazing moment. He did it to me. He looks at me, and he goes, did you know God loves material? He's like had so much stuff. He had all this stuff. And I was just like, wow, you have a lot of cool stuff. I realized, I mean, I don't know any of his story, but somehow he was like, God loves material. He's like, look around, look at all the wood in the world. And I was like, that's a good point. <laughs> cool, like this guy just inspired me. It was great. Do, get away in secret and talk to God. Open eyes, closed eyes, walking, bowing, sitting, whatever you need to do. Do what you need to do to address God the way you must. If it's a walk and talk kind of conversation, walk and talk. If it's a submission, like you're you're acknowledging like you are the king and I am below, then bow. If it's praise, sing. That's an option. I had my weird moment I told you guys about. It's not weird for some people. It's weird for me. But when I was in New York on my retreat and I was standing out and the sun was coming up and there were all these geese, and like I was just like, And I remembered the old, you know, doxology song. And for whatever reason, I was like, I had the thought, I was like, this is the first time I've ever understood that song. So I just was like, I'm doing it. Praise God. And I just did it over the field. And the geese loved it. It was awesome. (laughs) Nobody saw me. I told you about it. probably should have kept that to myself. (laughs) Um, Or exclaim things. Like, I've had every once in a while I've learned, like, if I see a really cool sunset and I'm with somebody, I'll go, that's really good. Like, look at that. That's really awesome. That could be, that's, I don't think that's so far from prayer if you're acknowledging God. I've had a a cool little prayer. I've been, I really like my dog Benji. I like all our dogs, but I really like Benji. And I've had some moments where he just like curls up next to me, looks up at me, and and I've thought to myself, this is the best dog I've ever and so I've started talking to God about it. I seriously do, because I'm like, I can't talk to Benji. I, try, I do, but it's not working. So like, I'll look at Benji, and I'll go, God, this is the coolest dog. And he just looks at me and <laughs> licks my It's great. That is prayer. It is. If it's lament or fear and sorrow, say what you can. It doesn't have to resolve. Because look, you can know Psalm 22 like Jesus and just pray the first part. That is a valid thing to do. Jesus showed us that. You can just say, why have you forsaken me? And that's all you have to say. You don't have to get around to answering all the questions for yourself. Don't. Don't do things to look good for other people. (sighs) Some examples. Praying publicly as a form of evangelism. Um, This we do. Um, The inner motive is often to show um, the good news of how we are, devout we are, we, we do this. I, I've been told, people have instructed me to do this. Like, go, make sure when you go to the restaurant, everybody bow your head and then they'll all know you're Christians. I think Jesus said not to do that. Another example of, of what not to do. The prayer circle where we have to top each other's prayers. Sometimes that's our fault because we want to have the best prayer. Um, sometimes it's not because it's just the, the culture that's happened in the church and it's, we're not trying to do that. It just happens. But I think we need to relax. First of all, can we just say for our church community, like it's okay to not have a great thing to say. Can I just say that to you guys? You don't have to be profound or passionate. On Like on my behalf, and I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and say God would really, he's not asking for any of that. It's really okay, Um, but then again, here's a follow-up to that: like, don't don't just top prayers, but you don't have to be so novel that it gets attention either. Like in my whole thing of like not saying amen, like if that's going to throw off the whole group, then sometimes I just throw it in there because it's like, you know what? People are used to amen. That's when they know to raise their head. So I'm going to do it. It doesn't. We don't have to be novel. I really don't like to close my eyes. But sometimes if I'm with somebody and they close their eyes, I don't want them to look up and me just glaring at them. <laughs> so you, don't, be not, don't make it about you. Like, do things that connect you to God and then respect the people around you. Another thing not to do, talking different. Why do we do this? <laughs> Why do we do it? I mean, I... All this implicates me, by the way. Seriously. This should be us talking to God. Just talking. Um, If we start talking more theologically or emotionally or emphatically or nervously, I think we need to ask why we're doing this. We should be the same person praying as we are at work. If somebody at your job saw you praying, they should go, that's the guy I talked to. Interesting. Wow, That's the guy I talked to talking to somebody. Where are they? That should be the weird part. Where where's the other person? You know, you should be the same person as you are getting out getting drinks with friends. People should say, "Oh, she who I who I sat down and had a drink with." That's the same one I see praying over. Same person. They shouldn't be going, "What?" Same person praying is at the sporting event. You go to the you go to the game with your friends. You're excited about something, that's you excited in prayer. You're calm, you're mad, same, same person. Is this, are you getting what I'm saying here? Here's why. God is with us in all those places. So when you're praying, you're with the same person. So why would you talk different? He's definitely not asked you to change. He has not asked you to do that. I can think of some reasons why we do. One, we might want people to think, you know, to, to hear what we're saying and apply it. I, I call this the uh, the lecture via the prayer. I've done it. I think we do it. You know, there's something you you feel uncomfortable to say, like these people are stingy, right? Or they're always gossiping. And instead of looking at them and saying, would you get your stinking wallet out and give some money to this person? You don't do that. You pray and you say, Lord, help us just to be generous and servant-hearted in this group. That That's super weird, right? Or, Lord, really, we don't, help us not to be the backbiting type. I mean, is God looking for you to detail that out? Like, if you want to say that to somebody, we should say it to the person. God knows he's not asking us to detail these things out for other people. Or... There's what happens, like I said earlier, in the prayer circle where everyone's praying and they're they're covering all the material, right? There's ten of you, five went, all the material's been covered, right? The prayer requests, are all they did it all. We've prayed for the government, we've prayed for it all, and then you're, and you're subtly thinking, oh, what am I going to pray for? And then you might even think worse things like, I don't really know how to pray like them because they just prayed to the triune, triune Godhead who sanctifies. And I didn't know about that. And like, then it gets to you and you, and you feel like, you, you know, this is why we get nervous. Cause like, I have to keep up with the situation. Like, how about you don't, you don't, what, what is that for? Why are we doing that? It's for ourselves to be seen, to be noticed, to be respected, to fit in, to get a point across. It's all that is selfish. Right. And somehow we do that in prayer, and we violate what Jesus said to do. He explicitly said not to be about that, not to give or serve or pray to be seen or impress people, or for that matter, to impress God. Because get this, God is not like an applause meter Have you seen those at the stadium where you got to get hype and everybody's like, ah! And then then they put put a song on or the batter gets up or whatever. Like you, okay, you win. Now we're going to give you the next, you know, 10 minutes of the game. That is not God. God is not doing that. He's not like, if you're theological enough, I'll listen to you. If you get enough people on the text thread, I will respond to your prayer. That is anti-gospel thinking. That is not the way God works. He doesn't ask you to build up and do enough stuff to get results. But we pray like that. It's not about getting it right. Jesus said he already knows what you're going to ask him. So you don't need to talk about it that much. Just like if Tabitha knew what I was going to ask her, like, see, I'm walking toward her and she goes, he wants 10 bucks, you know, I don't have to go. I don't have to spend five minutes saying that. I'm picking on you, Tabitha. Thank you. I don't know. You're just so nice. But like, if she knows and the $10 are already out, I can just say, got it, got it. Thank you. And we can talk about something else. And I wonder if that's what our nervousness is about when we pray. Because some of us, if you're, if you're a talker like me, you over-talk and repeat things when you're nervous. And if you're short on words, you kind of struggle and, and stammer for You're not sure what to say or you're struggling to come up with things. But what are we trying to prove? Which begs the question, what is the point of praying? And I think that's, the, that's what we're missing. I think we think it's the applause meter I think we think we have to pray really well for God to hear us. Or I think we might subtly think that praying is a way to be really spiritual and good. And it is neither. It is neither. The main point of prayer is talking to a person who's with you. Not to impress them or to make you know that you're really into them, but to know them. And, and that's God. And when we talk to God that way, I honestly think we will talk more, not less. Because I think we'll have a lot more to say. I think we can talk to him about all of it. About every single aspect of our lives. About our dog. About every sunset. About the thing we're confused about right now. About the thing that's really haunting us. That's making us nervous inside. I think we can talk about all of it. And we can talk naturally. It doesn't have to be to impress him or to get it right. And I think that's why we don't pray as much. We don't. We don't get that subtly. We don't. So there's your do's and don'ts. So practically, how to practice prayer? Just think about this. Why do we talk to people? A lot of reasons, right? Like help. If you need something. If you need advice. Or you just need somebody to like spill it all out to. Because it's just all jumbled in your head. Um, think about Jesus in the garden. You know, he's asking, like, is there any other way? Can this cup pass for me? Is there anything else that could happen? Like, I think he's he's really genuinely wants, he's asking, and I think he kind of knows no, but he's still, this is where he's at. And so he's just, he's sharing. And it doesn't mean you're going to get what you asked for, because that's not the point. It's to talk through this with a person who you trust. We talk to people for help. God is a person. We can talk to him about the things we need to get to know them. Um, I mean, If, like, the sunset kind of stuff, like, I love just pointing that out with a friend. So if if I'm alone and I want to acknowledge that to somebody, I mean, God, like, things, a difficult subject that we're dealing with or something we're interested in, something we'd like to know about, I mean, talk. Sometimes silently. It doesn't need to be a big thing. Just for fun. Who, what is a better experience than talking to somebody you just click with and get along with? Isn't that, like such a sigh of relief. I mean, we all have our categories of like what type of person that is, right? Because like there's always the, the person that we our conversation style is different and then you find your conversation style and somebody you're like, ah, cool. You can just do this. I think God's flexible. I think you can, you can have that kind of conversation. So be you. And just, you know, talk. The great thing about cell phones is if you're talking in your car, People think you're talking on the phone. Go for it. If you want, if you want to understand, you know, Jesus quoting the Psalm, um, he had this scripture prayer in his head, I think because he'd learned to listen to God in scripture, and then he had that stuck in his head and it came out. And So if you want to understand, I actually think reading the scriptures can be more prayerful than you think. Like if you're wondering something and you're reading about who God is and you're reading somebody else's prayer, I don't think these are all different. Like there's prayer and there's Bible reading and there's Christian living. Like I think it's all kind of combined. We should talk to God as we talk to a person, but a higher person, a holy person, a king, creator, God who's become accessible like a brother and a friend and like a pastor. The Bible says he's the shepherd of the sheep. Nick's not answering the phone. Talk to him. It's hard though, right? Because people we know talk back and we can see the reactions on their faces. Sometimes that's the problem, but sometimes that helps and we don't get to see those with God and it can kind of feel like a one-way thing. And it's not always that way. I mean, sometimes you'll sense or you'll look back and you'll go, I think he responded to me. I think I got a, I got a sense or a leading or a scripture came to mind or I just knew what to do. And sometimes you'll get that, but a lot of times it feels kind of kind of like it's going out to nowhere, right? Or like it's kind of bouncing back at us. And that's, that's hard. But the Bible tells us it's going to be like that, which I think is helpful. Um, but the Bible promises something that's coming in the future, a day when we know him face to face. And that's kind of what we saw briefly in somebody like Moses or somebody like Jesus is somebody who seems to be interacting like they're right there and they're reporting that he was right there that's possible we can do that but then Paul in 1 Corinthians 13:12 says this this statement that really intrigues me but he says for now we see in a mirror dimly but then in the future we'll see face to face and when you know what's like a mirror dimly what does that mean? I mean, what, what, what happens when you look in a really scratched-up, obscured mirror? You see, like, something that kind of looks like you looking back at you, right? Kind of worse. And imagine talking to that person. It kind of just bounces back at you. It's like it's going nowhere. And it, what, it seems like what's being said here in 1 Corinthians 13 is we look, we're trying to look at God, and what we get back, we kind of see something that looks kind of just like a flawed version of me. Like, who am I talking to? Is this person capable of hearing me out? Is this person capable of really doing anything for me? I just kind of see somebody like me. But then what Paul is saying is that this is temporary. One day it's going to be like the mirror gets shattered or falls down, and there is God, actually, face to face. And you go, oh, okay. I get it. You can hear me. You've heard me all along. It says, now I know in part, but then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. See, that's the mysterious part. Like, it's the problem is only one way. God knows us fully. God can see us as we are. God does understand it's our sin. It's our problem. That's the obstruction. It's our imperfection. It's we're in the way. And one day, all of our sins, which have been born on the cross, are going to be obliterated from our lives, lifted off our back. The veil will be torn away, and we will see him. Which means this time is preparatory. These prayers are preparatory. It gets better than this. I I found an interesting example when those guys that were here to visit Rob, uh, or Rod, sorry, Job, um, who I was saying was like the atheist reconsidering, had a really interesting journey, and I thought, this is what it's like. This is our prayer journey, in a way. It's just an analogy. It's, it's like this. Job is from the Netherlands, and he found himself a hero on YouTube who was Paul Vanderclay. this amazingly smart, amazing man who read Jordan Peterson and got it and could explain it and had all these deep thoughts and had all these cool friends who came on his YouTube channel and talked and Job started inhaling it all, and he would sit with his wife at the dinner table and say, Can we watch Paul Vanderclay together? And his wife would go, Okay. And they'd eat and watch Paul Vanderclay. And he started to fall asleep to Paul Vanderclay. He, he said this. He and you maybe fall asleep to Paul Vanderclay. That's cool if you do. But like he was like, I, I just started listening and taking him in. And then he had a business trip to to America coming up and who knows what he was thinking you know Paul Vanderclay's in America but America's really big and then he's getting in the in the comments right in YouTube in the comments and he's, he gets into some of the like the the chat rooms that go beyond YouTube and he's talking and all of a sudden guess who's talking back to him a little bit Paul Vanderclay he's he's corresponding with Paul Van, like it's i'm now it's not just hearing his word but now I'm having a, a conversation but there's this distance Thousands of dis- miles of distance. And then this man in, in, the, in the realms and in the interwebs, who is also from the Netherlands, says, Hey, when you're on your business trip, you can come and stay at my house. And Job goes, Oh, that'd be awesome. And then he goes, And I know Paul Vanderclay, and I'll take you to him. And Job, he said, Mind blown. Like, I could see Paul Vanderclay? What? The guy with millions of views, I could, see, you know, and he came to any, and he saw him and he sat with him and he got to like, it wasn't distance anymore. It wasn't across the world anymore. Like the world got real small and he was with him. And when he was here, it was, he was describing this, like how crazy that was that he's now Paul Vanderclay's friend and that he came back again on business. And now Paul Vanderclay wants to hang out with him more. They're friends now. It went from this distant thing, right? Now, that's just the analogy because Paul Vanderclay is just okay. <laughs> He's just a dude. Like, the funny thing was hearing Paul describe it. He's like, yeah, I have this church of like 30 people. I can't believe anybody thinks I'm that great. That's where he was at, you know? And But this guy, like Paul Vanderclay was his guy. Now, I think that's prayer is like, that's like the analogy. Prayer is... Like, that's what we have to look forward to. We will be known. Right now, it may feel like we're just in kind of a chat room where it's like text, and it doesn't all connect. I'm reading in my Bible. I'm not, it doesn't feel like it's all there. But someday, we will see him face to face. Now, really quick here. I feel like I should acknowledge this. There's probably multiple groups of us here. Um in that In that discussion, where uh, Paul Vanderclay came to town, a lot of people were describing themselves as Christians who are deconstructing their faith. I think we have some of you here deconstructing your faith, kind of tearing your faith down to examine it and then there were people who were like i'm maybe i 'm constructing my faith that'd be more like this guy job who's coming he's an atheist who's curious and he's piecing together faith kind of like the, for the first time um, and this whole talk about prayer would come across very different if you're if you're in either of those boats. Then there's the committed who might be afraid of really examining prayer because there's this longing for emotional connection. And like, Andy, if you tell me that, like, that this needs to get examined, I'm kind of, I don't really want to talk about that. It's kind of nerve-wracking because what if it doesn't work? And then there's those of us who are just really comfortable with the way prayer is because you just wake up in the morning, get on your knees by your bed, thank God for the day, and you go to work or whatever that looks like for you. But ultimately, this deep relational prayer that I'm talking about, I think it confronts all of us and invites us not to less, but to more. Listen, if you're, if you're in like a deconstructing or constructing phase, think about this. this is, what you're getting invited to, into is not a set of dogmatic beliefs. It's a, it's a relationship with a person. So if you're, strugg- if you're struggling with faith and you're wanting to deconstruct it, you can only, it's a relationship. You have to deconstruct with this person. If you're trying to construct, you're not building a set of beliefs. You're building a relationship with a person. You have to construct this with a person, a person to know, which means it has to be a two-way dialogue that's sacrificial, that goes both ways. So it, you can't conform somebody to your mold and, and tear them down to your version or build them into your ver- This is a person. You can't do that with a friendship. You have to think about it as a friendship. If you were going to deconstruct your friendship, you can't do that out of communication with that person. If you're going to construct a friendship, you can't do it based on propositions. You have to do it with the person. The person has to engage you. They have to shape it too. It has to be sacrificial. God in Christ has shown himself sacrificial to us. Will we be shaped by who he is? So prayer, I think, eliminates mere deconstruction or construction. That's what you do with material and data. God is a person. And then to the more afraid and the more comfortable, God is calling us into something far more complex, not not less but more. It's not just an emotional experience. It's a fully orbed relationship, which means real relationships. Like if you think about a friendship that you have, It's not all exciting and awesome all the time. It's not all pumped. Sometimes it is mundane. Sometimes it's just like doing the daily normal stuff. Sometimes they don't really have an amazing answer. I just finished a a Dietrich Bonhoeffer commentary, and he was really like dealing with, with his, like as he went through his imprisonment and he's losing everything. You know, he started to examine his faith and he ended up on the, it seems like a solid footing with that. But somewhere in there, people who were new into the prisons were crying out and yelling to God, God save us. And one time he wrote to his friend, there was a bombing outside and somebody's like, deliver us from the bombing. And he said, just look, it's, they only take 10 minutes. It'll be over in 10 minutes. But seriously, like, that conversation that the two of them had was probably more like real, genuine prayer. I mean, that other person was scared, but I think what Dietrich was dealing with is like, I don't pray and God stops bombings. I pray and God reminds me they last 10 minutes and I might die, because he did. So prayer isn't always the the emotional experience that fixes things. Sometimes it's mundane and the, the answer doesn't, come as a fix or a help or a feel better. Sometimes it comes as just you're with somebody. You're not alone. Um, but to those of us who've kind of just made it a ritual or a discipline, it is not that. I mean, imagine like if you say you had a really great friend and every day at 9 a.m. you texted them and said, good morning. And then you went on throughout your day. And then every day at five, you said, good Good night. I mean, are you close? No, right? That's just like, they would just, at some point, they'd go, there's the nine, there's the five. Got them, moving on, right? Like, a real relationship is more dynamic, and it deals with, like, I'm dealing with something today, like, here's what it is, you know? Like, I'm confused to help. Like, oh my gosh, do you have any milk? Like, that's that's what people in relationship do. They, they talk about the things. That's, it's more real. It's more dynamic. It's not just a ritual. If you're just like, you know, now I lay me down to sleep. I mean, I don't think God's mad, but I think he'd like to talk more. So I'm going to leave you with one idea I've learned that's helpful. And this is kind of behind some of the like Trinitarian prayer we talk about. This is how I've applied some of this. Just cultivate the relational realities the Bible says we have with God. And they're multiple, which is why it's so interesting. The Bible says you are the child of a father. It says you're the creation of a creator. It says you're the subject of a good king. It says you're the sibling of a brother. It says that you're a partaker of of a spirit it says you are the sheep of a shepherd it says you are the congregant of a high priest a great high priest there are all these these relationships the bible says that we have with god and what's helped me experience more in prayer is that i've thought of like whatever wherever i'm at at a particular time or what i'm dealing with right now how does god like fill that relational void that i need and so the one that I really struggle with the most is the idea of like, the, the probably the father and king. Because I don't think of, I, I, can, I can relate to parts of those, but not all of them. Like in the father category, somebody to chat with, sure. Somebody who is going to tell somebody to leave my kid alone or I'm going to like hurt you right now, like get away from him, I don't, I don't feel it. So when I'm threatened, I feel very alone. Extremely alone now, I assume you guys could could acknowledge all this kind of stuff, like i don 't know what it 's like to have a government that cares for me, so when I think of like a kingdom in which I am safe and protected and all is well, like i don 't get that I could come to God and ask for that or connect with that or or anything like that, or you have terrible relationships with your siblings, so it 's really hard to imagine that like you could have a brother, a friend that sticks closer than a brother or a sister who just sits with you and you could gush out everything that you're like, I don't know about that. Try it. Because God has, has revealed himself in all those ways to us. He wants to fill the gaps that we don't understand. And even in the areas we do understand, he wants to be the ultimate in all those things. Cultivate those kind of relationships. Pray to him in those ways. Like, especially the ones where you have the gaps. If you've never had a sister to gush to, gush to God. Like, just talk. If you've never trusted a government, like, bow to a king who is worthy. If you've never had somebody who never leaves you and forsakes you, pray to a spirit who is present with you at all times. Of course, here's our text. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, Imagine him, blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. He broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, what's up with that? Jesus is telling us that some day ahead of us, there's a feast where we are going to sit with him and we are going to eat and drink and be known And we're going to look at him face to face, and we are going to know each other and talk. It's not just ceremonial, it's personal. These are the words a man said. These are the words of our elder brother, of our priest, of our king, of our savior. These are the words of the person who said to Peter, Satan wanted to sift you out like wheat, but I have prayed for you. These are the words of the one whose spirit, the Bible says, groans in ways we don't know what to pray for. Do you know what that means? That means when you are short on words and you don't really know what to say, you don't have to say anything. Because the spirit is so in tune with what you need and who God is that he prays on your behalf. These are the words of the priest who represented our imperfect prayers. You know what they did? Like at the temple, the people would come and they would pray. And then the priest who had gone through deep purification and who knew the word would walk forward and he would pray for all the people. Jesus came and he's declared to us that he is the ultimate of high priests. He takes our imperfect prayers and all the way we mess up and he goes to God and he prays the prayers we need perfectly and he represents us. And he also represents us as an advocate for our salvation because of the sacrifice, his sacrifice for us, which means that when we realize that we don't deserve to have our prayers heard, that we're not a good friend to God, that we are not putting in our end of the deal, that Jesus comes and says, God, because I, Father, because I died for them, hear their prayers because I died for them, cover them with my body that was broken for them. Father, cleanse them with my blood that was shed for them. We have a God who prays. And because we have a God who prays, we can pray to Jesus in freedom. We can pray more. So come and receive him. By faith, We're going to sing together now. If you can say, yeah, I believe that, even just a little bit, you can come and gather around the table with others, and you can partake of his body and his blood by faith. We have giving in the back that we'd invite you to do um, because you love God. It's like prayer. Don't give to check off a box. Give because you love him and you want to give back freely from what he's given to you. And let's sing. Let's be honest. Let your prayers be a song. If you can say these words, say them with all your heart. If you can't, you can just sit down and relax. It's okay.